Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chapter 13 of The Man Who is Thursday. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Zachary Brewster Geis, Greenbelt, Maryland, June 2007. The Man Who Was Thursday, A Nightmare, by G. K. Chesterton. Chapter 13. The Pursuit of the President. Next morning five bewildered but hilarious people took the boat for Dover. The poor old colonel might have had some cause to complain, having been first forced to fight for two factions that didn't exist, and then knocked down with an iron lantern. But he was a magnanimous old gentleman, and being much relieved that neither party had anything to do with dynamite, he saw them off on the pier with great geniality. The five reconciled detectives had a hundred details to explain to each other. The secretary had to tell Syme how they had come to wear masks originally in order to approach the supposed enemy as fellow conspirators. Syme had to explain how they had fled with such swiftness through a civilized country. But above all these matters of detail which could be explained rose the central mountain of the matter that they could not explain. What did it all mean? If they were all harmless officers, what was Sunday? If he had not seized the world, what on earth had he been up to? Inspector Ratcliffe was still gloomy about this. "'I can't make head a tale of old Sunday's little game any more than you can,' he said. "'But whatever else Sunday is, he isn't a blameless citizen. Damn it, do you remember his face?' "'I grant you,' answered Syme, "'that I have never been able to forget it.' "'Well,' said the secretary, I suppose we can find out soon, for tomorrow we have our next general meeting. You will excuse me, he said, with a rather ghastly smile, for being well acquainted with my secretarial duties. I suppose you are right, said the professor reflectively. I suppose we might find it out from him. But I confess that I should feel a bit afraid of asking Sunday who he really is. Why? asked the secretary. For fear of bombs? No, said the professor. For fear he might tell me. Let us have some drinks, said Dr. Bull, after silence. Throughout their whole journey by boat and train they were highly convivial, but they instinctively kept together. Dr. Bull, who had always been the optimist of the party, endeavored to persuade the other four that the whole company could take the same handsome cab from Victoria, but this was overruled, and they went in a four-wheeler with Dr. Bull on the box, singing. They finished their journey at a hotel in Piccadilly Circus, so as to be close to the early breakfast next morning in Leicester Square. Yet even then the adventures of the day were not entirely over. Dr. Bull, discontented with the general proposal to go to bed, had strolled out of the hotel at about eleven to see and taste some of the beauties of London. Twenty minutes afterwards he came back and made quite a clamour in the hall. Syme, who tried at first to soothe him, was forced at last to listen to his communication with quite new attention. "'I tell you I've seen him!' said Dr. Bull with thick emphasis. "'Whom?' asked Syme quickly. "'Not the President?' "'Not so bad as that,' said Dr. Bull, with unnecessary laughter. "'Not so bad as that. I've got him here.' "'Got whom here?' asked Syme impatiently. 
"'Harry man,' said the other lucidly. "'Man that used to be Harry man. Gogol. Here he is!' and he pulled forward by a reluctant elbow the identical young man who five days before had marched out of the council with thin red hair and a pale face, the first of all the sham anarchists who had been exposed. "'Why do you worry with me?' he cried. "'You have expelled me as a spy!' "'We are all spies,' whispered Syme. "'We're all spies!' shouted Dr. Bull. "'Come and have a drink!' Next morning, the battalion of the reunited six marched stolidly towards the hotel in Leicester Square. "'This is more cheerful,' said Dr. Bull. "'We are six men, going to ask one man what he means.' "'I think it is a bit queerer than that,' said Syme. "'I think it is six men going to ask one man what they mean.' They turned in silence into the square, and though the hotel was in the opposite corner, they saw at once the little balcony and a figure that looked too big for it. He was sitting alone with bent head, poring over a newspaper. But all his counsellors, who had come to vote him down, crossed that square as if they were watched out of heaven by a hundred eyes. They had disputed much upon their policy, about whether they should leave the unmasked Gogol without and begin diplomatically, or whether they should bring him in and blow up the gunpowder at once. The influence of Simon Bull prevailed for the latter course, though the secretary to the last asked them why they attacked Sunday so rashly. "'My reason is quite simple,' said Syme. "'I attack him rashly, because I am afraid of him.' They followed Syme up the dark stair in silence, and they all came out simultaneously into the broad sunlight of the morning and the broad sunlight of Sunday's smile. "'Delightful,' he said. "'So pleased to see you all. What an exquisite day it is. Is the Tsar dead?' The secretary, who happened to be foremost, drew himself together for a dignified outburst. "'No, sir,' he said sternly, "'there has been no massacre. I bring you news of no such disgusting spectacles.' "'Disgusting spectacles?' repeated the President, with a bright, inquiring smile. "'You mean Dr. Bull's spectacles?' The secretary choked for a moment, and the President went on with a sort of smooth appeal— of course, we all have our opinions and even our eyes, but really to call them disgusting, before the man himself. Dr. Bull tore off his spectacles and broke them on the table. "'My spectacles are blackguardly,' he said, "'but I'm not. Look at my face!' "'I dare say it's the sort of face that grows on one,' said the President. "'In fact,' It grows on you, and who am I to quarrel with the wild fruits upon the tree of life? I dare say it will grow on me some day. "'We have no time for tomfoolery,' said the secretary, breaking in savagely. "'We have come to know what all this means. Who are you? What are you? Why did you get us all here? Do you know who and what we are? Are you a half-witted man playing the conspirator, or are you a clever man playing the fool? Answer me, I tell you!' "'Candidates,' murmured Sunday are only required to answer eight out of the seventeen questions on the paper. As far as I can make out, you want me to tell you what I am and what you are and what this table is and what the council is and what this world is, for all I know. Well, I will go so far as to rend the veil of one mystery. If you want to know what you are, you are a set of highly well-intentioned young jackasses. And you, said Syme, leaning forward, what are you? I? What am I? roared the President and he rose slowly to an incredible height, like some enormous wave about to arch above them and break. You want to know what I am, do you? Bull, you are a man of science. 
grub in the roots of those trees and find out the truth about them. Syme, you are a poet. Stare at those morning clouds. But I tell you this, that you will have found out the truth of the last tree and the topmost clouds before the truth about me. You will understand the sea, and I shall still be a riddle. You shall know what the stars are and not know what I am. Since the beginning of the world, all men have hunted me like a wolf. Kings and sages, and poets and lawgivers, all the churches and all the philosophies. But I have never been caught yet, and the skies will fall in the time I turn to bay. I have given them a good run for their money, and I will now. Before one of them could move, the monstrous man had swung himself like some huge orangutan over the balustrade of the balcony. Yet before he dropped, he pulled himself up again as on a horizontal bar, and thrusting his great chin over the edge of the balcony, said solemnly, "'There's one thing I'll tell you, though, about who I am. I am the man in the dark room who made you all policemen.' With that, he fell from the balcony, bouncing on the stones below like a great ball of india-rubber, and went bounding off towards the corner of the Alhambra, where he hailed a handsome cab and sprang inside it. The six detectives had been standing thunderstruck and livid in the light of his last assertion, but when he disappeared into the cab, Syme's practical senses returned to him, and leaping over the balcony so recklessly as almost to break his legs, he called another cab. He and Bull sprang into the cab together, the professor and the inspector into another, while the secretary and the late Gogol scrambled into a third just in time to pursue the flying Syme, who was pursuing the flying president. Sunday led them a wild chase towards the northwest, his cabman, evidently under the influence of more than common inducements, urging the horse at breakneck speed. But Syme was in no mood for delicacies, and he stood up in his own cab shouting, "'Stop, thief!' until crowds ran along beside his cab, and policemen began to stop and ask questions. All this had its influence upon the President's cabman, who began to look dubious and to slow down to a trot. He opened the trap to talk reasonably to his fare, and in so doing let the long whip droop over the front of the cab. Sunday leant forward, seized it, and jerked it violently out of the man's hand. Then, standing up in front of the cab himself, he lashed the horse and roared aloud so that they went down the streets like a flying storm. Through street after street and square after square went whirling this preposterous vehicle in which the fare was urging the horse and the driver trying desperately to stop it. The other three cabs came after it, if the phrase be permissible of a cab, like panting hounds. Shops and streets shot by like rattling arrows. At the highest ecstasy of speed, Sunday turned round on the splashboard where he stood, and sticking his great grinning head out of the cab, with white hair whistling in the wind, he made a horrible face at his pursuers, like some colossal urchin. Then raising his right hand swiftly, he flung a ball of paper in Syme's face and vanished. Syme caught the thing while instinctively warding it off, and discovered that it consisted of two crumpled papers. One was addressed to himself, and the other to Dr. Bull with a very long, and it is, to be feared, partly ironical, string of letters after his name. Dr. Bull's address was, at any rate, considerably longer than his communication, for the communication consisted entirely of the words, What about Martin Tupper? With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.